I want to start out giving you some statistics from the, and this is according to the American Institute of Stress. Now, if there's a whole institute of stress, you know stress is bad. Stress is bad in America if we have an institute for it. But anyway, according to this institute, some of the things they said, about 33% of people report feeling extreme stress. 77% said experience stress that affects their their physical health. 73% have stress that impacts their mental health. And about 48% of people have trouble sleeping because of stress. I mean, just reading that stresses me out. I don't know about you guys, but I'm already stressed. We just got started. So hopefully this will help me too. But they go on to say, they, they give the top causes, and they actually put these in order of the top causes of stress in people's lives. Now, when I went and looked back even years ago, I don't know if they flip-flop back and forth, but the number one cause of stress is money. It used to be work. But in, their, in this particular study, um, the first one was money, then work, then the economy, then came family responsibilities, personal health issues was next, then housing costs, job stability, family health problems, and then personal safety. And unfortunately, for about half of all Americans from their research, levels of stress are getting worse instead of getting better. So today, we're going to look at the classic text in the entire Bible on how to keep from stressing out. We've been in this series, as I was saying, that Pastor Jerry has been taking us on through Philippians, and we're, gonna, we're in chapter 4 today. Paul gives us, in these verses, verses 6 through 13, the classic anti-stress management recipe in these verses. Now, I know Pastor Jerry's not here, but he's probably saying from wherever he is right now, you know you should read your Bibles. Have you read your Bible lately? So these are some good verses to memorize. If, you, if maybe you're not used to memorizing Bible verses or you want, you'd like to memorize, these are some good ones to remember because to carry these with you are great verses. So we're going to read these together. They're, they're on your program. They'll be up here on the screens. Online, you'll be able to see the, these as well. Philippians 4, 6 through 13 says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which, will exceed, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Again, this is Paul saying this. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Great verses. The key to this is that this, this passage actually comes with a stress management guarantee. Now, this guarantee isn't guaranteed by a doctor. This, this guarantee is a guarantee by God. So 
I think we're all going to want to pay attention to this one if we want to lower the stress in our lives. Verse 7 says this, that we have this promise guarantee. Philippians 4, 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where the Bible causes the peace that passes understanding. Maybe you've heard people say that before, the peace that passes understanding. So how do you know when you have the peace that passes understanding? Well, maybe you're in a situation that has no, you have no logical reason to be at peace. You know, situation is crazy. There's no reason you should be at peace, but you are at complete peace on the inside. That's the peace that passes understanding. Or you're in a situation where around you it's total chaos, total meltdown. Uh, people are losing their minds. There's total stress. That can be at work maybe. It can be at school. It could be at home. There's tension. Everything is going wrong all at the same time. And yet inside, you're at complete peace. This is the peace that passes understanding. God promises a more peaceful, less stressed mind. Anybody interested in that? I know I am. I think we all should be, especially after what I started off with in the beginning. It seems like we're all stressed out. You know that the, in the Bible there's over 7,000 promises. But with every promise, there's a premise. So God says, if you do this, then I will do that. There's a condition. So I want you to circle the premise for the promise um, in these first words of that, that verse, Philippians 4, 7. Why don't you circle, then you will. Circle that part. Then you will. If you do these things, then you will keep from stressing out. You experience God's peace. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet. Keep your hearts at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. If you do these things, again, then you will. Well, what are the things? What are these things? That's what we're going to be talking about and looking at today. I'm glad you asked that question. There are specifically five things that God says to do in this passage. Five things to reduce the stress in our lives. Here's the first one. If you want to write this in, again, it's, on your, it's in the program. If you want to write these down, is this one. I can refuse to worry about anything. That I can refuse to worry about anything. It's just a choice. I choose to refuse. I'm just not going to do it. Why? Why refuse to worry about anything? Because the number one source of stress in our lives is not money. It's not work. It's worry. That's what's creating the stress. We may be overworked, but it's more likely that we're overworried. That's what it is. Isn't that true? Work doesn't keep us up at night. Your boss isn't like, well, unless you're married to your boss, but your boss typically isn't laying in the same bed with you. Then there's a whole other story, but we're not talking about that today. But most likely, you're just worried about the work. It's not the work. It's you're worried about it. You're stressed about it. Most of us are just over-worried. And God is very clear in the Bible what he thinks about worry. That's the first verse, verse 6. And this is the, the first part of it, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. So here's a question. Is there any wiggle room in this verse? I've looked at it many times. I don't see any wiggle room. Don't worry about anything. Is there any exception? Nope. Don't worry about anything. Is there any exemption? Nope. Don't worry about anything. Is there any reason where God says it's okay to worry in this circumstance? Nope. 
don't worry about anything. This is about the, a big of a blanket statement that you can get, that we can get from this. Yeah, but what about, nope, that's not what God says. He, he says, no, don't worry about anything. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm saying don't worry about it. Jesus thought worry was such an important topic that he spent a major section of his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he talked about worry. A big section talking about worry. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us four reasons that we should never worry about anything. So I thought that would be good to include in just this portion. So I'm going to give you those reasons. Here's the first one, if you want to write this in, that worry is just unreasonable. Worry is unreasonable. It's illogical. Worry actually doesn't make any sense. It's unreasonable. Look at Matthew 6, 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? So again, he's saying it's, it's just not logical to worry. You've, in a way, then, if we're worrying, then we have our priorities out of order because it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. It's unreasonable. Why is worry unreasonable? Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons. First, worry only exaggerates the problem. Isn't that true? It never makes the problem smaller. I don't know any time that I've worried that my problem got smaller. It exaggerates it. It makes it bigger. Have you ever noticed the more you worry about it, the more you worry about it? Oh, yeah, that problem just went away. No, that never happens. The worry just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It keeps on growing. Worry exaggerates. It's irrational. It's unreasonable. It makes it, it, it's big, it, makes it bigger, and it grows the, the, whatever the issue is, um, the proportionately, it just gets so big. It just grows the problem out of proportion. And not only does worry exaggerate the problem, worry doesn't work. Has it ever worked for you? I would say no. It's never worked. It's worthless. It's like stewing about something without doing something about it. It doesn't make any difference in your life if you're going to, to worry about something. Look, to worry about something that you can't change is useless. Right? Because you can't change it. To worry about something you can change is stupid. Because if you can change it, just go out and change it. Fix it. Don't worry about it. Fix it. In either case, worry is not the answer. Worry will never work. It's just unreasonable. Then worry is unnatural. Worry is unnatural. Why is worry unnatural? Because the, in, in the entire universe, the only creations of God that worry are human beings. We're the only ones that worry. Birds don't worry. Cows don't worry. Dogs don't worry. I know my dogs don't worry. I'm nothing. Cats don't worry. I think they create worries, but they don't. Cats don't worry. Worry is just unnatural. So what do I mean by that? Well, we weren't born with worry. We weren't born worriers. There are no born worriers. You might think you are. Like me growing up, my mom said, I, I'm a worry wart. I don't remember so much about it, but she's always called me. That was my nickname growing up. She had a lot of other nicknames too, but worry wart was one of them. I was a worry wart. But guess what? I learned that. So probably I learned that from my mom. Because she was probably a worrier. So I would just say this. If you're a worrier and you're going to continue to worry some and you have kids, try not to worry around them. Because your kids will learn to worry because you worry. They're going to pick it right up. Because we learn it. Worry is something we learn. The good news is if we learn to worry, we can also unlearn worry. We learned it. 
and we had to learn it, and you have to put it into practice to get good at it. So that's what people do. Some of you are pros at worrying, but it's learned. Worry is not natural. They've, we, if you're a worrier and you worry a lot, you've probably picked it up from somebody else. Matthew 6.26 says this, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Love that verse. If anybody is on God's welfare program, it's birds. Think about those things. They don't do anything except birdie things, right? They, they tweet. They like to poop on my car wherever I park it, especially after I just washed it. Maybe that happens to you. It's like they're programmed for that. But it says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. But it says, your heavenly father feeds them. Notice it says, your heavenly father. Right? Your Heavenly Father. He's saying your Heavenly Father. Not the bird's Heavenly Father. He's saying your Heavenly Father. If God is your Heavenly Father and you are His child, children get special privileges. Children of royalty are then are treated royally. So what are we worrying about? Birds don't worry. And God's not their Father. God's their Creator, but He's not their Father. And if God's our Father, then why are we worrying about it? Matthew six twenty eight through 29 says this, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. He's saying here in all of God's creation, the entire universe, only human beings worry. Animals don't worry. Plants don't worry. We are the only things that God made that don't trust him crazy to think about worry is unnatural and god says you're valuable more valuable than the lilies more valuable than the birds way more valuable to me than they are you know the word worry actually comes from an old english word which means to strangle or to choke that's what worry means so when you're worrying about something you are literally strangling the life out of yourself or choking the life out of yourself or if you're married to the person <clears throat> or you're the worrier, <clears throat> then your spouse is literally wanting to strangle the life out of you for worrying about it all the time. Right? That's what, that's what worry does. It will, it will choke you and strangle your life if you continue to worry. <clears throat> that's what we do every time we worry. So we need to stop worrying. Never worry about anything. Why? <clears throat> Excuse me. It's unreasonable and it's unnatural. Here's the Next one, worry is unhelpful. Worry is unhelpful. Matthew six twenty seven. can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Pretty common sense. I love that question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Look, here's the reality. Worry cannot make us one inch taller. Not going to do it. Worry can't make us one inch shorter. Worry cannot lengthen our life at all. Worry can shorten your life. We've seen that when people get stressed out. We cannot change the past with worry and we cannot control the future with worry. All worry will do is mess up our current life. That's what worry does. It just messes up today. It's not going to change the past, not going to change the future. It just messes up where we're at today. 
It's kind of like sitting in a rocking chair. Now, maybe, I don't know if any of y'all sit in a rocking chair much at all. The only time I ever sit in a rocking chair is really if I go to Cracker Barrel, which isn't very often. But when I do, and I don't take that home with me, one, because it's like chained down, but two, because have you ever looked at the price tag on those rocking chairs at Cracker Barrel? They're really expensive. They're not coming home with me. But a rocking chair, it's kind of like sitting in a rocking chair. That's kind of what worry is all about. You spend a lot of energy rocking in that rocking chair, and you make no progress. You don't get anywhere. You just sit there. It's useless. The only thing that worry ends up doing is it changes us. It makes us miserable most of the time. It's never solved a problem. It's unhelpful. And then the fourth reason why the Bible says never to worry about anything is this. Worry is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. I think if, if God was, I mean, yes, God is everywhere, but I think if God was like in my face talking to me right now, I think he would ask me, what in the world are you even worried about? What are you worried about? Don't you think that I'm going to take care of you? Don't you think that I'm going to meet all of your needs? I made you. I created you. I saved you. I love you. I put my spirit in you. Don't you think I want to take care of any need that you could possibly have? So it's unhelpful. And then, really, it's unnecessary. There's no need to worry. Matthew 6.30 says this, And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, pause there, think about all the beautiful flowers that are out there. There's flowers that we, probably human beings, have never seen that God has created. But he just created them because they're beautiful flowers and he loves them and loves to create. So he created them that human beings will never see, but God chooses to take care of those, those flowers. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, it goes on to say, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So the first step in stress management is to refuse to worry about anything. Why? Because it's unhelpful, it's unreasonable, it's unnatural. And it's unnecessary. Another great verse to memorize, 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I love that. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because he cares, for, he cares about you. So what do we do? What do we do the next step? Let's go back to Philippians 4, 6. The second part of that verse, the first part of 6 said, don't worry about anything. The second part is to talk to God about everything. So this is the second step. You can write this in. I can talk to God about everything. I can talk to God about everything. I can talk to God about everything. In other words, don't panic. Pray about it. Don't worry. We should worship. Stop talking to ourselves about all the stuff that's stressing us out. And start talking to God because talking to ourselves won't do anything about it other than make people think that we're crazy. So why wouldn't we just want to talk to God about it? He's saying, talk to God about everything. This is the second part of that verse. In Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. You know... If we prayed as much as we worry, we'd have a whole lot less to worry about. Isn't that true? And by the way, like I said, God has already promised to take care of us. 
And if it's not worth praying about, then I can say it's not worth worrying about. If you can't take the time to pray about it, then why are you going to worry about it? Because we should be bringing that all to him. He says to talk about God about everything, that God knows what we need. And we just are to ask our Heavenly Father, Father, I need this help. And he will answer you. God says, I'll take care of you. Just ask me. What do you need help with? I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk this journey with you. Look at James 4.2. James is very blunt, always in the Bible. It says this, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Pretty straightforward. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So here's the second key to stress management. Worry less, ask more. Instead of worrying, pray. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. You say, well, I don't know if I want to bother God with this little thing. You know, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know. Well, let me just tell you, there's nothing that's not tiny to God. Does that make sense? It's all tiny to him. Every problem in your life is tiny. There's no big problem in your life. There's, there's no little problems in your life because to God, they're all tiny problems. Roman, look at Romans 8.32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So what's he saying here? Follow the logic. Our biggest problem in our whole entire life, every human being, our biggest problem is getting into heaven. Because heaven is perfect and I'm not. That's our biggest problem. So God came to the earth in the human form of Jesus. He said, I'll live the perfect life. I'll die for your sins in your place. And then you can get into heaven on my ticket because of what I did for you. It's grace. I don't earn it. I don't work it. I don't deserve it. I can't buy it. It's just grace. So if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, would he not give us everything else we need? He already solved the biggest problem. He solved my biggest problem. Everything else is small in comparison to that. So if God loved you enough to die for your sins, don't you think he, helps, he loves you enough to help you with your finances? Don't you think he loves you enough to help you with your health, whatever your health issues might be? How about your relationships? Don't you think he loves you enough to help you with any relationship struggles maybe that you're having? Or career decisions? Don't you think he wants to help you with that? Or closing the deal or making the sale or any of those things? Yeah, of course he does. There's no area of your life that God is not interested in. God says, I'll care for you and I promise that I'll care for you for the rest of of your life, for your whole entire life. So if you want to lower the stress in your life, if we want to lower the stress in our lives, we will worry about nothing and pray about everything. And then we go to number three. If you want to write this in, I can thank God in all things. I can thank God in all things. Now, this is important. That we look at it that way. I can thank God in all things. It doesn't say to thank God for all things. Because there's a lot of things that we shouldn't be thankful for. There's a lot of things that I'm not thankful for. There's pain in the world. There's evil in the world. All you have to do is go on social media and look or go on the news and see. There's a lot of pain and a lot of evil in the world. Somebody gets cancer. We don't have to thank God for cancer. We shouldn't thank God for cancer. I hate cancer, personally. My mom in 2020 died from cancer. 
I hate it. And what it does to not just the, the cancer person, but how it affects their whole, the ripple effect in their whole entire family. I didn't thank God for her death. But it says, in all things, give thanks, which means even in the bad times, I can find something good. And here's the third part of that verse, Philippians 4, 6, where he says, worry about nothing. And then he says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So you, you tell God what you need and then you thank him for all he's already done. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point because Pastor Jerry twice already in this series has talked about the connection between gratitude and and happiness. You cannot be happy and ungrateful at the same time. Happy people are grateful people. Unhappy people are ungrateful people, typically. Study after study has shown that the healthiest emotion known to human beings is this attitude of gratitude. The more we build gratitude in our, in our life, the more happy, the more healthy we will actually be. You know, studies have shown that having this attitude of gratitude and living that way will actually raise our immunities. It will raise, it'll increase our immune system, make it stronger, living with this attitude of gratitude. But being ungrateful and being resentful actually can lower your immunities, can lower your immune system and make it weaker to other things in life. I've heard it said before that life is like a, a pair of railroad tracks. That, that, you know, they, railroad tracks, two of them, they, they run parallel to each other. And in, in our lives, we have these two rails that kind of run at the same time. It's kind of how life is. On one rail is the good things that are happening in life, and on the other rail are the bad things that happen in our lives. You know, sometimes maybe you've, been, you've thought or people have said kind of like that life is like a series of, you know, hills and valleys, the highs and the lows, um, the mountaintop times and the low times. But I don't believe that that's really true. If you think about your own life, I wouldn't say that's true because the fact is we get them both at the same time in life, typically, right? Most of the time, if there's bad things happening in life, there are, there are always things that we can be thankful for running at the same time. But if there's, you know, the times when there's, you know, good things in life, Typically, there's still bad things or things that we can be working on in life, and they're running at the same time. It's not like, oh, everything is perfect and I have nothing wrong in my life. No, typically they run together. They're running at the same time. So I can always find something to be thankful for, no matter what's going on, going on in my life. And that is the third step for stress reduction. Be thankful and thank God in all things. First uh, Thessalonians 5:18 says, "Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus, to be thankful in all circumstances." So the fourth step we find in the next couple of verses, so if, if I want to reduce the stress in my life, I worry about nothing, I pray about everything, I thank God in all things, and then here's four is this: I can think about good things. I can think about good things. See, I would, I would believe this is extremely important because the stress and the war with the stress in our lives isn't out there, right? The stress that we have in our lives isn't really out there. The stress, this war with stress, this battle is going on right inside here. Because I'm looking at 
I'm looking at this whole group of people here. You may have the most stress you've ever had in your entire life. And just sitting here looking at you, I would have no idea. Because guess where it's at? It's up here. It's in our, it's in our minds. The stress happens in our brain. It's in our thought life. Our war with, with, our war with stress is won or lost right here. That's where it happens. What we fill our mind with will then determine the level of stress in our life. Philippians 4.8 says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I love that verse. When you think about these things, just these words, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy, you know what that is? That's a picture of God. And what he's really saying is, when you have the stresses in life, get your focus off of what's going on in here and focus on God. Focus on those things about who he is. Look at Isaiah 26.3. This says my point. You, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose what? Thoughts are fixed on you. So how, do we, how, do we, how are we kept in perfect peace? Well, when our thoughts are fixed on him. Not on our circumstances, not on what's going on, not the stresses of life, but when we're fixed on him. If we fix our thoughts on God, he says, I will keep you in perfect peace. What you think about is going to determine how stressed and how worried you are. Now, there's one, one other step, number five. This will be our final, our final step. This one, I can learn to be content with anything. I can learn to be content with anything. You know, the Bible tells us to be content with anything. Again, the, the, being the fifth key to living a reduced stress life. It says if we do these things, then we'll have God's peace in our life. So I just want to take a, just a couple moments to kind of explain contentment. Because I, I think a lot of people misunderstand the meaning of what contentment really is. A lot of people think contentment means like having no ambition in life. Like that's contentment. No, that is not it at all. Think about Paul who wrote what we're reading now. He wrote almost the entire New Testament. He was probably one of the most ambitious people who ever lived on the planet. He single-handedly takes the good news, the gospel, to the majority of the Roman Empire. Single-handedly. He's, again, probably one of the most ambitious people to ever live. And he says this, I've learned to be content. It has nothing to do with ambition. That's not contentment. Contentment is not laziness. Contentment is not apathy. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not fatalism like Eeyore. Whatever will be, will be. It just is what it is. Right? That's not contentment. Contentment is not lacking ambition. Here's what contentment is. It's this. It's enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen in order for me to be happy. That's what contentment is. This is my current situation right now. This is my current situation. And I'm going to enjoy my current situation and what I have right now rather than waiting for something to happen in order for me to be happy. Because what if that thing never happens? Then you waste your whole life 
hoping, and you're miserable. And that thing never happens. So contentment is enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen in order for me to be happy. Does that make sense? It's enjoying what I've got right now. It doesn't mean I don't want to progress. It doesn't mean I don't have goals. The Bible says that we should have goals. We should want to progress. We should want to do things. But it means I'm not waiting for something to happen in, in my life in order for me to be happy. Because we could be waiting a really long time. Contentment is the opposite also of coveting. Coveting is when and then thinking. When this happens, then I'll be happier. When that happens, then I'll be happy. It's the same thing. What if this or that never happens? Then you're miserable for your whole life waiting for this or that? Contentment is being happy with your current situation, in that current situation, and then hoping and progressing and moving forward if there's another situation or circumstance. Contentment is actually independent of all of our circumstances. It means my joy is not, con not connected to what's happening in my life right now. My joy, my happiness is not based on my happenings. It's not based on any of those things. It's not based on my circumstances. It means I've learned to enjoy whatever I've got right now. And I'm not waiting for something or someone to make me happy. I remember when, um, before I um, came on staff and before I um, got into ministry, actually, I was, I was running equipment. And I remember... You know, it was talk about me eventually um, getting on staff and all that. And I remember thinking, well, why is it taking so long? You know, it was like, you know, why is it taking so long, God? And I'm running equipment. I'm out there in the hot sun and I'm doing all this. And I feel like I am wasting my time here digging in the dirt. Jesus, I could be helping people in the church. And here I am digging in the dirt. Totally miserable. And I remember God saying, and it was the same kind of situation, God saying, why can't you just be happy and satisfied in what you're in? And just whenever that happens, it'll happen if it'll happen. Because you can tell people just as much about Jesus while you're on the job site. In fact, there's a lot of people that need to hear on the job site. Have you heard those people talk? Yeah, I did. Okay, yes. Right? So it was that same thing. Instead of being focused on when and then, when this happens, then I'll be happy. No, it's... What, am, what is my circumstance right now? Maybe it's not the best job in the world, but you're there. You got a job. Why not be content in that situation instead of thinking? doesn't mean you don't work to progress, to move on in life and do better. That's great, and that's what we should do. But it's in the meantime, instead of looking at that for my happiness, I'm going to be content in, in this situation. That's what that means. Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I want you to circle that word learned. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Because here's the deal. Contentment is not natural. I'm not by nature content. You're not by nature content. We have to learn it. Just like we have to unlearn worry and we have to learn happiness, we have to learn contentment. It's something we get educated on and he goes on to say i know how to live on almost nothing or with everything actually in the original greek he says i know how to live in poverty or i know how to live in luxury i know both i can be happy in either in poverty or luxury with nothing or with everything 
I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. This is what Paul is saying. He says, so I've learned to be content. How do I learn contentment? I'm going to just give you a couple ways real quick. The first way to learn contentment is this. Stop comparing with other people. Stop comparing. Do you realize, and I'm not against social media, but do you, know, you do know that social media is a comparison trap. You know it is. Because what do we do? We see everybody's highlight reel on social media. Nobody's putting their dirt on social media. Unless somebody's putting somebody else's dirt on social media. That happens, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're looking at somebody's highlight reel, that's what you're doing. And they even take a good picture. And then they put a filter on top of that good picture to make it even better. You're like, ooh, wow. And that causes us to have to compare. And I feel that even young people today have so much anxiety today because they're stuck in this trap of comparison. They feel like they can never measure up because of what they see in front of them, which is fake. They don't see the reality because, again, nobody's putting their dirt on there. So stop comparing. We as adults, we do the same thing. It's not just through social media. It's through what we see. We see everybody with that. You know, keep up with the Joneses. It's a whole different, it's in that mentality, that mentality of that. Because the source of most discontent is comparison. The Bible tells us over and over it's foolish to compare ourselves with anybody else. Why? Two reasons. One, you're always going to find somebody else who's doing a better job than you are and somebody who has more than you. And what's going to happen? You get discouraged. Exactly my point. Social media, whether it's keeping up with the neighbors and the new whatever they just bought, and you just get discouraged. Because that's what happens when we compare. But two, you're always going to find somebody that you're doing a better job than. And you have more than, and guess what happens? You get full of pride. I think that's why people watch hoarders. Now, that might be personally why I watch hoarders, because I look at their, their situation, I think, well, these are not that bad, right, or whatever. But it's the same, it's, it's the same thing, right? We, we compare that way and go, well, I'm not that bad, and so then we're, we're full of pride. Either way, we're dead in the water discouragement and pride are two things that will then knock us out of life. So he says, stop comparing. When you compare, we end up getting jealous or we get envious or, or we get prideful. Look at Proverbs 14:30. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. In other words, it will eat you up. It will eat you alive if you get envious. That, that phrase, peaceful heart, leads to a healthy body. That, that word, actually, peaceful heart, in another translation is the word contentment. Contentment makes the body healthy, so stop comparing. Here's a second tip for learning contentment. Stop thinking that having more is better. We've got to get out of that. There's three myths that were taught by advertising. Having more will make you more happy. Having more will make you more important. And having more will make you more secure. None of those things are true. They're all lies. Having more will not make you happy. Maybe for a short time you think, I got this, I'm really happy, until you're not happy with that anymore. Having more will not make you more valuable, and having more will not make you more secure. I read an interview with um, Lady Gaga. If you don't know who Lady Gaga is, you'll have to ask somebody later who that is. But Lady Gaga, who's a, she's a singer and artist. Um, I think she acts too, right? Yeah, whatever. But anyway, Lady Gaga, from a few years back, when here's what she said. Money has been put on a pedestal. Beauty has been put on a pedestal. Celebrity has been put on a pedestal. She said, I have traveled the world and seen the happiest people in the poorest parts of the world. And I love this, what she said. Their values are intact. The poorest people who are the happiest. And then she goes on to say, in the richest homes, 
I meet the saddest and most depressed people. This is Lady Gaga, which is she's experienced this. So stop thinking that having more will make you more happy or having more will make you more important or having more will make you more secure. None of those things are true. We need to find our security in something that can never be taken from us. Because if I put my security in my job, it can be taken, gone, just like that. If I put my security in my bank account or my retirement, my 401k, whatever, it can be gone. Probably a lot of you have seen a lot of that gone. If I put my security in my health, I can lose my health. If, I put, if we put our security in our beauty or our looks or whatever, that fades. Hello, we're all getting older. Say bye-bye because it's going away a little bit every day. It's just reality. I have to put my security in something that can't be taken from me, and that is only my relationship with God. That's the only thing that can't, no one can take away from me. So these five strategies, they're very easy to explain, but they're very hard to do. It's not easy to worry about nothing, coming from a professional worry ward. It's not easy to pray about everything. It's not easy to thank God in everything. It's not easy to think about good things, and it's not easy to be content with anything. So where in the world am I going to get the energy to do these things that reduce stress in my life? Good question. God says, you just come to me. I'll give you the rest. I'll give you the power and the ability to do what is needed that will help you do what's best for you. Paul ends this passage with verse 13, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It's also written on Steph Curry's shoe. At least it used to be. So we know it's a famous verse. Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So here's the deal. I can worry about nothing when I have Jesus' strength. I can pray about everything when, I, when Jesus strengthens me. I can thank God in everything when Christ strengthens me. I can keep my mind right on the right things when Jesus strengthens me. And I can be content with anything when I allow Christ to give me my strength. For some of you here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, maybe for you, you want this peace, but maybe you realize that you, you don't have access to this peace because you're realizing that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's where this peace comes from, like I said earlier. Maybe you've never accepted what he did for you to forgive you for your sins, what he did on the cross for you. And maybe that's the realization you're having right now. Well, that's one of the reasons I don't have peace is because I've never given my life to Jesus. Well, I will tell you, as we've shared, that this is a free gift to all who will accept it. Like I said before, God solved our biggest problem by sending Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise from the grave. And anybody who puts their faith and trust in him, the Bible says, has eternal life. But it's a choice that we have to make. We don't just get it. We have to accept it. But when we do, then we just go from being like the birds that are his creation to then his adopted son or daughter. This gives us full access to all the promises of God. And he wants to care for you. He wants to care for me. He wants to give us peace. So this morning, if this is you, whether you're watching online or you're here on this campus If that's you and you want to make this, pray, this your prayer this morning, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. 
Um, I'm just going to pray it as if it was my first time praying and asking Jesus to come into my life. And if that's you this morning, then you can just pray right along with me, right in your mind. It's not a magical prayer. It's just you're, you're saying these thing, same things back to God. So let's all just go ahead and bow our heads. And again, if that's you this morning, you're realizing that I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I want that, and I want peace. Would you just pray this with me? Just as easily just say, God, I admit that I've sinned. I admit I'm a sinner. All the things I've done wrong, all those mess-ups and hang-ups, that's sin, and that sin separates me from you, and I'm sorry for that. But this morning I'm understanding and um, about you, Jesus, that you came to this earth and you died on the cross for my sins, personally, for me. And I believe that. And I believe you didn't just die, but I believe you rose again and that you went to heaven. And I believe that the Bible says that everyone who puts their faith and trust in you will have eternal life. So I'm putting my faith and trust in you, and I want that eternal life this morning. So I'm choosing to follow you. And I'm choosing to ask you to help me as much as I know how, to begin this journey of living my life for you, beginning this journey of being able to not be stressed out and have peace in my life. I want to thank you for that. Now, if you made that prayer this morning, I just want to say welcome to the family of God. That We in all of heaven, that Bible actually says that heaven rejoices over that decision. Now, I just want to lead us all in another prayer. So with our, our heads bowed, we'll just continue. Would you just pray this prayer? Maybe for you it's just a simple, yeah, me too, God. Uh, that's me. Just say, dear God, I don't really want to be stressed out at all. I want to learn the habits of happiness. You have promised that if I do these things that I will experience your peace. So I'm going to hold you to your word this morning. I don't have the strength to do these things. So Jesus, I need you to give me the strength. Help me to worry about nothing. To remember it's unreasonable and it's unnatural, it's unhealthy, and it's unnecessary. That you're going to take care of me. God, help me to worry about nothing. Help me to pray about everything. And instead of talking to myself, to talk to you. Help me to thank you in all things. And help me to think about the good things. And God, I ask you to help me to be content right where I'm at today. To be content with anything. God, I want to have this peace. So I can have your peace. And we just give you all the thanks and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's Mel. Being content would go a long way toward reducing our stress. Hopefully you can remember some of Pastor Rich's teaching this week when your stress level starts climbing. We'll be praying for you. Have a great Sunday. See ya.